1: Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety from the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me this Sunday evening, as always, is my friend Michael Leboff and Mike. Uh, We had uh, the Islanders take six out of eight points this week, which is good. But uh, there is an unpressing Paul that has fallen over all of that, uh, mainly due to the the passing of Clark Gillies, which uh, came out right after the win over the Coyotes, and um, it's made for another... Uh, difficult layer on top of a very very difficult season
2: yeah we'll talk a lot about it i'm sure later and it, but just like the moment was def, definitely sh, 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 felt so strange but like in a season where and in kind of an era where everything is strange it was like it almost like didn't phase me how sudden it was because like that's just kind of how things have been how things are now hmm. like it's just like out of nowhere you know this happens and you you know you're kind of there's no, um, you know, pre- obviously preparing for something like that is not easy and po- really just not possible. But um, just the way it happened so suddenly was just so strange, especially with like, you know, it was started to leak out there during the game. The Islanders were winning and you're listening to Butch Goring, you call the game. And like, all I could think about was like, I don't know, if you know, I don't know if Butch knows, like, we don't know for sure either. Like, it, it just like, it caused like such a strange kind of phenomena um uh, you know watching the game person like feelings wise like mm. a phenomena of feelings i guess while you're watching and um every islander fan was kind of just like going through that alone together trying to like make sense of it and um yeah and then they win and like basically as the final horn is going the islanders confirm the news and mm. um yeah it took the i think trotch was like he's like you know it just kind of took the joy out of the win away and that's the right way to put it, I guess it like kind of just put, you know, everything, um, you know, into like this weird, um, kind of perspective, I guess. And you start to realize just like the, the team itself, like this season, it's just part of, you know, a fabric of 50 seasons of the Islanders. And, um, the Islanders just aren't the Islanders without Clark Gillies too. So it's like, you, it was just this like really, really, I don't know. It, it was tough to to kind of just like deal with for everybody. Um, and then when when people started to like tweet from outside the Islanders' circle about it, you start to realize like, oh god, like th- he wasn't just you know his he was kind of like a you know transcended figure in in hockey. He so was, he was kind of like a hockey folk legend. Um, mm. um so like just the the rush of emotions after a, a, an important win too. Like the mm. Islanders needed to win that game because of the schedule spot and. What was coming the next night? I guess a good team that was on rest after uh, get loot blowing a lead and Canadian media talking about if they're soft or not, and <laughs> um, and so they get that win and and you want to celebrate the win, but then you like were pulled back down yeah. to earth. It was uh, weird. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um we're going to talk a lot more about Clark Gillies and his legacy and impact on the Islanders uh, and hockey in general in the second half, but uh condolences to his family and all of his friends of which there were many, many, many as we found out over the course of the, the last couple of days. But um but yeah, it it the timing was um very awkward, I guess to say the least, and um you know, the win over the Coyotes was an important one. And as we talked about last week, um, you know, they had on their schedule three teams or three games, I should say, against two teams uh, where the Islanders could really pick up points. And lo and behold, they actually did it. They beat the Flyers twice on back-to-back games. And then they beat the Coyotes. They shut out the Coyotes on Friday night. Um, uh, Ilya Sorokin was phenomenal in the first game against the Flyers. And in fact, came one Deflection off of Noah Dobson's shoulder from another shutout uh, in, in a game that feels like it was played about ten years ago. But uh, the Islanders really, really played very well in that game. Uh, high danger chances four were ten four in favor of the the Islanders. Uh, they had a much better showing. They had more shots on goal. The Flyers had a se- better second, but uh, and Sorokin had to come up huge on a couple of. Major saves, one on a 2 on o, one on a couple on 2-on-1s, especially shorthanded. The Flyers were more dangerous shorthanded than they were at even strength, which is kind of weird and kind of very Flyers-y. Um, but uh, they came out with a 4-1 win on Monday, which was great. And then uh, in Philly on Tuesday, they came out with a 4-3 shootout win. Um, you know, both teams looked – li- the Islanders looked really gassed in that. The Flyers, not so much, uh, which kind of throws out your – you know, anybody's like, well, back-to-back – situation um but uh they tie the game in the third uh casey zekas off of play from scott mayfield and the shootout went 18 rounds or 18 skaters i should say nine rounds until Alvar wallstrom shows up and is the hero and uh, we'll talk about that offensive decision uh, in a little bit Simeon varlamov played that one and was very good he made 31 saves um and again you know the flyers have now lost 11 games in a row in fact the islanders can make it 12 uh on tuesday so that'll be something to watch you know if they lose that game uh would i be surprised no because the flyers are probably extremely pissed off but again this is not a team that the islanders really should be losing points to they they should be beating teams like this and then of course on friday you get the worst team in the league the arizona coyotes and the islanders did what they had to do picking up a four nothing win um it was not the most exciting game i've ever seen to be perfectly blunt um, but the Islanders, again, they, they took care of business and Simeon, Bar- uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Ilya Sorokin made 17 saves, 17 whole saves for a shutout. That's the, that's the Marty Brodeur special right there. <laughs> and, uh, and it ended up being the third star. I can't remember the last time I saw a goalie get a shutout and end up being the third star, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, in fairness, like <laughs> that's how it worked. Like, yeah, he made 17 saves. They were all good, but I mean, come on 17 saves. But, uh, yeah, uh, Austin Zarnick was on line one as Kiefer Bellows sat, and again, we'll get into uh, the offensive decisions in a little bit, but uh, let's look at these first three games first. Again, th- these were games that the Islanders needed to win. Like these were, these are two bad teams. If the Islanders want to get back into this playoff race, which obviously looks more and more ludicrous every day, they needed to win these games and, and and credit to the Islanders for winning those games, particularly that game in Tuesday in Philly, they did not have a lot and to come back, tie the game in the third. And then the, uh, Varlamov was spectacular in the shootout. So was Carter Hart and, um, to get that win was enormous and really, you know, it was one of that week was really the highlight, one of the highlights of the season so far in in how they, they took care of what they needed to do and uh, picked up six huge points.
2: Yeah. I think before the week you looked at the, um, the upcoming games and you said, all right, you, you, you win these three games after the Washington game. And which was also like a credit to the Islanders for like, they, they put up kind of a, uh, no show against the Capitals and responded with three wins in a row. And that's what they needed to do. And so you, you look at the last, if you look at last week as the week that was a four as four games, you got to win three out of four. And they did the the four games before that, they won three out of four. So with a very manageable four, five games coming up before the break, you can say like, you know, three, one and one, and it it doesn't get them back into the race. They're not gonna get back in the race. if Even if they play at this pace until mid-march at like the earliest or april and it's like you yeah. said it's 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 unlikely it's it's still um you know there's still a, a, a universe out there where they do it but it is unlikely but they're keeping at least they're keeping the games right now relevant because if they hadn't like if they the islanders did not respond to that loss to the capitals and lost to philly and uh, you know, came up short in 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 any of those three games. Like, it's a much different conversation. Um, but yeah, they they did what they needed to do. I think that uh, shootout loss in the Flyers was the first game I would say the Islanders um won this whole season where they didn't deserve to win. Like, usually yeah. in a, in a season where you make the playoffs, you usually win twelve uh, <laughs> games where you quote unquote steal them. Let I me mean, look at the Rangers; they're basically making a habit out of it. It's, <laughs> it's like the Lunquist era all over again. They get outplayed. <laughs> They get a a goal off of a skate, and then the goalie just makes that lead stand up. And um, it's so that that was actually encouraging, even though they didn't play well particularly, um, because this team just hasn't found a way to win those games when uh, the game is still in the balance and and they're not they don't have it. Uh, and I thought there was some really encouraging signs. I think Adam Pellick has been you know really really good lately. Scott Mayfield. Has started to play better. Uh, you Parisi's still doing his thing. Uh, he, he had a goal against the Leeds. and then uh, I think you you saw some really good things out of individuals um, in certain games. The fourth line has been really good the past week, uh, even with Matt Martin. You know, I was a little upset. Maybe you know, once again, preemptively said his career was over after the <laughs> Capitals game. He proved me wrong because yeah. uh, he's that that fourth line has been re- going really well lately, and um, the uh, but but the the thing is it's been like it's even in the games they've won it's it's yet to really be a team effort i guess you can say the arizona game was there but Hmm. because of the the way that game was played it was kind of hard to tell like because it was just so low event i didn't Hmm. think anyone was like the whole team played well but i don't think it didn't feel like that cohesive 18 wheeler that trotz talked about a couple weeks ago yet and it, it it's not i see some people being like the island i can't remember who it was was talking about but the islanders have just gone from like bad to mediocre <laughs> which is true but you're not going to go from the way they were playing mm. to lights out that's mm. just not how it really goes usually the, it, it, and this isn't just an islanders thing this is just it's not just a hockey thing it takes teams after a slump to mm. kind of just put piece things back together it's not it's not like a light switch turns on and Right. So, getting to two, <laughs> yeah, getting to NHL 500 with these wins is actually an accomplishment because I I would have said, I think I did say a couple months ago that um, during, if, right after that 11 game losing streak, that um, I, I wasn't, if the Islanders had to, they had to get to like 20 re- regulation wins before 20 regulation losses and still have to, obviously. But um, that's when I was expecting them to be around this NHL 500. I didn't think they would be able to do it this quickly uh so but now it's about getting separation uh and and kind of establishing yourself as that above 500 team that's the next step and then at some point you just got to hope it's uh that that the teams above you go but the only uh like they go down but the only way to to even make that relevant would be to keep collecting points like they're doing uh but there's still there's still some uh parts of their games that are leaving that's leaving a lot to be desired, and they're. I think they're showing more signs that they're getting to a consistent effort than than fewer, <laughs> or if mm-hmm. that makes sense. But um, they need to. It's like you know, it's, it, once again, it's now or never. They now that they've got to this step, now they got to take the next step, and they have to do it now. They had to do it before the All Star break by winning these games against. Like uh, a, a, once again, it's a, a, a very winnable stretch of games, and uh, and they have, but but it's. I would say. The teams they're playing are, are peskier than you know two games against the Flyers in the middle of a, a, <laughs> sh- a losing streak and the Coyotes, whereas you know you, you, they're, they're yeah. taking on Philadelphia again uh, in a in a revenge spot and like you said, I think they play the, the good news is, is the Flyers are on it back to back that night they play Stars on Monday oh wow um, so oh
1: so so yeah. it might be thirteen straight losses yeah exactly <laughs> really? so it's either
2: yeah so it's like there's 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 going to be um, but it's a good at least it's a good schedule spot for the Islanders they mm-hmm. were served up a really tough one last night um, yeah. but uh and then like you know senators are pesky but the islanders should beat them we know the wild they're decent the kings the, like same thing pesky team islanders they're should beat them in. seattle yeah. Yeah. pesky team islanders should beat them uh like th- these but i, I w- it's like if they do get through the stretch with uh you know four and one three one and one whatever it is um it you know it's just it'll be great because it'll be fun to look forward to more hockey on the other side of the the All Star Break, but at the same time, like you need, to, even if they do do that, you do need to hope that they do take the next step with their their actually with their game in those mm-hmm. wins, rather than just getting the wins because they are more talented than the teams that they're playing.
1: Yeah, and that's a good segue to the final game of the week, which was Saturday's game against the Leafs. Um, it was a tough schedule spot. I mean, it's a schedule loss, really, uh, when you think about it in all ways. But that doesn't make losing to the Leafs any better, uh, as always. Um, you know the the community, the Islanders community was certainly still in shock after the Gillies news. Um, you know, I I don't think anybody really quite quite felt a hundred percent right going into that game. I mean, you got to play it as scheduled, but, uh, you know, was kind of, nobody was really kind of, I think a hundred percent kind of focused on it, uh, going in, they had a big ceremony and everything obviously beforehand uh, the players were all wearing the, the number nine patches. Um, and then, you know, you're playing a team that is very good comes in with a lot of, uh, you know, media presence, um, you know, for, and, and just just real quick, I, you know, I, I took in some I try not to pay – I try to pay as little attention to the Leafs as possible as, as always. But a couple of things I heard and, and read this, this weekend made me think that – I think it's taken three and a half years, but I, I think a lot of Leafs people, fans, you know, media folk – starting to finally come around to the idea of like why Islanders fans still hate John Tavares. Like they're still kind of, they're kind of finally figuring out, Oh wait, they thought he was going to sign there. Oh, that's why they're so mad. Oh, I get it now. So like, it's not everybody, obviously (laughs) James Myrtle remains a huge idiot, obviously. Uh, (laughs) if you saw his little bit of tiny exchange with Kevin Kurz uh, this weekend, but like, I listened to Nick Kiprios on Sportsnet, and he was like, you know, I I could see why they'd be mad because, you know, they thought he was going to stay. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Nick Kiprios. That was the voice of reason
2: ahead of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. A guy Uh, who refers to himself as the real Kipper
1: is a voice of reason. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Who saw that coming? But anyway, again, it's not everybody. It's probably just very few people, but. I, I could see the you could see the kind of wisps of, of you know, uh, common sense sort of floating around there. But in any event, um, you know, the game did not start out well for the Islanders. It was uh, they, they uh, you know, were under a lot of pressure. Uh, Varlamov got the start and, and he was very, very good. Oh, actually, for starters, let's, let's begin with the fact that Oliver Wallstrom was a healthy scratch with Kiefer Bellows drawing back in. And we're going to talk a lot about that in one second. Uh, Mitch Marner gets a shorthanded goal. I believe he got a shorthanded goal in the last game against the, the Islanders. He sure at, did. Yep. At UBS Arena, uh, which really sucked. Um, you know, Parisi got on the board again on a nice feed from Mayfield. But then, uh, right at the buzzer, after a turnover by Noah Dobson, Pierre Engval scores. And Barry Trott said after the game that that really just kind of took the wind out of their sails and it ended up being th- you know, three, one Leafs in the final, uh, the Islanders, you know, went in, it, they went three, one going into the third period. And you thought, okay, well, you know, good third period, maybe they can, you know, tie the game. And the Islanders did have a fairly good third period, but it just wasn't enough. And they ended up, you know, getting a loss. And again, like, you know, a loss after picking up six points earlier on a back-to-back against a good team, like in a vacuum, you kind of get it. You can see it, but Against that team in these circumstances, after what happened Friday night with you know the guys who were on that team, uh, just really really sucked, and I don't want that to cloud what really was a, a you know on the ice anyway a very successful week for the Islanders. But boy, you can't help but think that that was a huge, <laughs> a huge, huge, huge letdown. Even accepting all that stuff, it's just. It's no fun losing to that team. And, and the way they went down in you know, hockey night in Canada, it was not, you know, the Islanders were not competitive for, you know, roughly half of the game at least. And didn't really, you know, if you lose one thing, if they lost 2 1 and it was a hard fought, even game, you'd be like, all right, well, you know, what are you going to do? But the, the Leafs, you know, they, they outplayed the Islanders and the Islanders got what they deserved for the most part and they just didn't elevate. And it gets to one of the Islanders' biggest problems, which is in order to find that next level, like you just talked about, they're going to need to beat some teams that are good. And right now they are incapable of that. It's good that they can beat teams that are bad. That's good. But you need to beat teams that are good. And the Islanders have not found that level yet. And that's going to be a problem for them if they still hold on to, you know, playoff hopes right now.
2: Yeah. Uh, I thought the, the start to the game too, was uh, like you said, it, it, it wasn't great. And then, but when you, it wasn't the first period, wasn't great in the context of the the second goal, but they killed off those two early penalties. Um, the crowd was into it. The fourth line was hammering yeah. to Trot said
1: they got energy off of those PKs. Yeah. which he loved to see. Yeah,
2: and then yeah, the, the he also mentioned which which I was like it, it was so clear what the the least penalty kill plan was, and it and <laughs> and the only person on that on in, on the planet that didn't know what was going on was I guess Matt Barzell because it was they were they were just not going to let him have any time on the puck. Mm -hmm. you know they weren't they were going to pressure him hope he stick handles himself into trouble and and he did um and it ended up in the back of the net and that sucked the life out of the building then with a minute left uh yes the parisi goal which was yeah the the value from mayfield the finish everything was great uh and then that noah dobson goal for the second time the season it's just look look, we, we said it a lot on the show he's Noah Dobson's on his way to becoming a really, really, really good player, like a really good top-tier defenseman uh f- for this team. Uh but for the second time this season, he just didn't manage the game mm-hmm. situation well in, in in a in a spot where all you need to do is you just put that puck into the corner. Mm. No matter what, you can, that is that is the exact time you panic and <laughs> throw it throw it anywhere you know onto the ice. You just don't turn it over. He did. Evvarlamov should have made the save as well. But like, it's just once once he started fumbling with the puck tops and everybody I think in the building knew what was going to happen there. Um, and that was it. Like that that was this is at the this isn't last year's Islanders yet. It's and looks more and more likely like they won't get there. Where, where like something like that just wouldn't phase them. It was pretty obvious. Uh, that that was going to be the end of the game i think you know you could we tried to i was with my dad and trying to talk ourselves into them <laughs> being able to brush it off cuz of the way the rest of the period went but uh no it didn't go that well and uh the, the those mistakes ending up in the back of the net is has been a theme this whole season uh and and like I, that's kind of like what i was saying earlier about uh, once again, it was another game where parts of the team were playing really well. I thought the fourth line again was really good. I thought Char was really good yesterday. Um, you know, he's he had a really tough go of it against the Flyers. Um uh, mm. I think in both those games. Yeah. Has has started to play better uh of late. And you're like, well, it makes if this was the way he was deployed and used for the whole season and the Islanders weren't ravaged by all sorts of different things, I think you know, the, the, the decision becomes a little passive, more closer to passable. It's still the, the fact that he was, you know, plugged into the replacing of Nicoletti was, was, <laughs> we all know was a mistake in hindsight, but mm. um, you know, he was pretty good. I thought, you know, Andy Green, Robin Sala were good. And uh, Pellick was great. Mayfield, but then like, they were got like, the first line was terrible. The, <laughs> the Nelson line was not that great. They get um, yeah, Bellows. I mean, Two weeks ago, I was talking about how the, the the thing that has surprised me the most of the season was the, the Kiefer Bellows turning into a good NHL player. And then the past week, he's turned back into the Kiefer Bellows that uh, made me think this guy's never going to make it. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> it's 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 been a, such a confounding season on so many levels. Uh, even Varlamov, who looked like he was really getting his game back together, uh, was pretty, pretty not not great yesterday against the Leaves. He, he, he was all right. Um, but if it was uh yeah that's why it was so frustrating because that even though it was a bad scheduling spot the islanders um and and you know this is a good team they're playing with a lot more talent uh the islanders could have on another night won that game if they had limited one or two they could have managed the puck one or just two twice better right like the <laughs> Barzell play and the Dobson play if, if those if those plays don't happen they uh you know, the Islanders are in, are in that game and that's that's why it's frustrating but at the same time the the, the way you lo- we're looking at you got to look at it is look this team's gonna lose games and mm. this was the game that pretty sure everybody was pointing to and this week saying if they win these three games they can afford to lose that one and they did <laughs> um, but yeah. at some point they're gonna need to win those kind of games but uh yeah I think and then in terms of the Leafs mm. uh, stuff the existential part of it <laughs> yeah. the equation, yeah, I think uh, what people are starting to realize here is, uh, th- th- like, had the Islanders fans stopped, you know, if 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 they had stopped treating Tavares or or making it hostile and in, in hostile environment for him, uh, it would have kind of lent credence to what people were saying when he signed there, with like, oh, they overreacted or whatever. But mm. the fact that it's still going and 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 it and it should, because you know, <laughs> once again fans fan, the whole point of being a fan is you're emotionally invested in something irrationally mm. and that means that you can boo players you don't like like it's not nobody's as long as, nobody's throwing anything at them on the ice anymore it's booing like it's yeah. not like there's <laughs> not that that that's what i don't understand they're acting like these boos like the player getting booed uh every mm. time he touches a puck is like this huge huge thing like uh, that's, he's just getting booed. It's not a huge yeah. deal. Um, well, and, a couple
1: of people noted that he he got hit uh, a couple of times, and once by Matt Martin, and once by Cal Clutterbuck, and in both cases, fans cheered like it was a goal, like they have a huge cheer. And uh, yeah, this, this is like some sort of assault on on John yeah. character or whatever, you know.
2: And it, if it, the fact that th- this, this is still how we're reacting, I think is starting is is getting people to say all right, like let's take a, a little bit of a deeper look. And that's why the Nick Caprios thing was finally, like someone said it the the right way. And like, almost showed that like, Oh, I understand. Like, let's look at it instead of looking at it from a Toronto media perspective
0: hmm.
2: where we, you know, protect the, protect the Leafs captain at all costs. It's all right. Let's look at it from the fans' perspective because they're the ones who are actually booing. Like we're not like, this is, a, this is actually, this is a thing. This is a people showing emotion and that's it. Like it, he, he strung the Islanders along in a, in a way that for the way that they described this classy captain was mm. exact opposite, you know, the <laughs> exactly exact opposite of how uh, the, the leader of a team was supposed to act. And um, I think people start like if you, if because he's still getting booed or starting to feel realize like, okay, like there is actually, this isn't just like some visceral reaction. They, this is like a deep seated thing. So there has to be something more to it. And there is, and, and it sucks losing to them, but I really don't care about it that much anymore besides the mm. fact that it's two points. Like I hate that team. I hate the yeah. the circus that follows them. I hate everything about it. Uh, I hate their coach. I hate their general manager. I hate <laughs> Brandon Shanahan. Like I hate everything about them, but like yeah. losing to the Leafs, it, it didn't ruin my night. Like it would have, if this was a couple of years ago um, for a couple of reasons, one, because I know that in three months from now, they're, they're wrestling with the fact that the regular season doesn't matter to them. Like it's still like they have to literally play these games, get these 82 hockey games that are just completely basically meaningless um, before anything matters to them or whatever. So I just don't really care. Uh, and the other thing is that like, it's it's just so um, that that kind of narrative is so on the outside of what the Islanders are de- Like their immediate issues right now, like their issues are so much more um, closer to, the team like play, the play on the ice and like when they when they played the Leafs two seasons ago and it's pretty clear the Islanders are gonna make the playoffs in Leafs where it, it felt like a kind of like a one-off playoff game whereas this one was like yeah this is just the Islanders are all that matters like how they play how their march to getting back into uh, the playoff picture is all that matters. The Leafs do not really factor into this at all. And Barry Trotz said the other couple of weeks ago, like he feels like the Islanders are, they're like an independent f- college football team yeah. uh, because like they're playing a completely different schedule. And he's right. Like that's this, the Islanders are still, because they're having to make up all these games, games in hand, like they still are like that. And, and the Leafs literally don't factor into this at all. And um, besides the fact that they were just an opponent one night. And um, yeah, so it it didn't ruin my night. I thought that it was it was kind of nice to see people lash out at James Myrtle because that's always nice. But um, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, no, that that's a good point. Yeah, I, I think Leafs fans and Leafs media think that we sit here and think about the Leafs a lot more than we do, which we don't. Quite honestly. Uh, I know we make fun of them and all on this show quite frequently, but it's not like we're sitting here wondering about how they they don't affect us. Basically. (laughs) They don't (laughs) affect the,
2: like I'm, I like I'm rooting against them. And I I think about them a lot in that perspective where I like, like to enjoy their failings, but they don't, they don't factor into what the Islanders at all anymore.
1: Yeah. I was actually watching the uh, Oilers flames game last night and my wife was like, who are you rooting for? And I'm like, well, it's funny. And I kind of went into this whole thing about how hockey Twitter, sort of twists your mind into hating teams that normally you wouldn't care about. And I explained that like, you know, the Oilers get so much attention that I've come around to hoping that they fail because they got these two great players and the more that they fail the more entertaining it is for me so I'm like normally I wouldn't care one whit about either of these two teams but I am kind of rooting for Calgary in this case because if Edmonton loses one more game I don't know who's going to be on the roster come Monday so I was couple, uh, the Oilers of course won the game on a beautiful play by one of the good players that they have so I just thought I was kind of like this is what hockey Twitter does to you but uh, but yeah I I think you know that is a good point about the Leafs and and just before we wrap it up this half I think uh, the other thing I think is you know as they've started to slowly come around to the idea of like why we still are mad and why we thought you know Tavares was going to stay and then he left I think eventually maybe like five or ten years from now Leafs media guys will start to understand their role in our hatred of the (laughs) team and the whole situation and be like oh Oh, so maybe Steve Dangle doing a thousand podcasts begging people, begging John Tavares to sign with the Leafs. That might have had something to do with Islanders fans being mad. Oh, I guess. Yeah. You know, but I got, I'm not going to hold my breath because that's going to be a long
2: time. For I, I, the, the Oilers, I just want to talk about that Oilers <laughs> thing because I don't think we we talked about the the last episode was before the dry sidle thing. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Like Jim pissy. Matheson called pissy. Why are you so pissy? And I, like. <laughs> there's there's a couple things here like jim matheson to me at this point is so he's entertainment more than anything right like jim matheson he's not covering my team um Hmm. and i don't understand this kind of hockey twitter thing where someone someone from the carolina hurricanes fan base gets mad at jim matheson for the way he's he's covering (laughs) the edmonton oilers because he's you know an old school you know the old hockey man trope like yeah he's all those things but he's also like, if you just once again, remove yourself from the situation and just enjoy it as entertainment, that was incredibly entertaining. (laughs) just the whole thing, the whole Mm. him's calling Leon dry pissy, Leon dry getting mad. And then the Mm. eruption people, people of course had to fly to their keyboards to weigh in on it. Mm. That's, that's entertaining to me. And, and the Twitter mob has gotten so insufferable in hockey (laughs) that I'm almost my immediate reaction to these things now is almost to always side with, jim matheson <laughs> like i'm always like i'm gonna you know I'm, here's this hill i'm gonna die and i'm gonna be on jim matheson's side on this he called him pissy he was acting like you know leon dry said it was was kurt and mm. you know if he had said oh why are you being kurt i don't think he would have you know caused the backlash he did but uh it, i think it's it's just so the the, the hockey uh twitter mob and group think has completely jumped the shark so many times yeah. and in such a annoying way that they are forcing you to like be like, there's who's more annoying here? Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it's not Jim Matheson. It's so <laughs> far from being Jim Matheson in this situation that yeah. I am now on that side of the equation where I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. like go get him, Jim. Talk about how <laughs> Connor McDavid can't win in the playoffs. I agree. You with tell you. him, Maddie. Maddie <laughs> torts, all these guys. Those are my guys now. Like it's like five yeah. years ago, it would have been the exact opposite. Right. Um, it's it's so it's so insufferable. Yeah. Um, because like, I just, you just, nobody. We don't need to hear from everybody on on what what Jim Matheson did or didn't, or if he's supposed to cover the team like that. Yeah, that's part of what happens when teams go through these ruts in Canada. Like, just mm. kick your feet up and enjoy the show, yeah. and hope to God the next one is the Leafs.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, there's there's kind of a uh, a sort of rote way this goes like the clip goes out with the emoji of the guy like you know with the big eyes and then everybody kind of retweets I can't believe it! how dare you but my whole thing was I just love you know as with comedy it's all it's all in delivery and I love the way Matheson said why are you so pissy about this like the way he emphasized pissy just really that's what really drove it home to me and that that's what literally I was sitting at my desk what laughing out loud (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> just the way he said it. That's a, uh, that's a that's a veteran move right there. Uh, was like, Why are you so, so pissy about this?
2: And, uh, but like that's what I'm saying. Like we talk about when when you hear people talk about um, or like they eulogize members of the media from days of yore. Hmm. You know, people get yelling at Billy Martin. Billy Martin screaming and telling them to hmm. get the hell out of like his office and stuff. Like people are like, oh, that was that was great. This guy was a bulldog. It was it was fun. And then like you can't you can't say that we miss those times and then get mad at Jim Matheson for saying that someone was <laughs> pissy. It's like how everyone, you know, Jeff Merrick and, and Elliot Freeman spent 20 minutes, no joke, 20 minutes, dissecting what it means when a coach calls his team soft. Mm. And Jeff Merrick was like, ooh, you can't use that word, Elliot. Mm. You can say anything else you want about a team, but you can't call a hockey player soft. Like, then they're soft. Like if you can't call somebody soft, you're they're, they're, that's, yeah. you're basically just saying oh, I'm soft. And 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 they like Zapruder filmed the yeah. you know every press conference. Did Did Kent Hughes win his press conference? And because he spoke in French Canadian, you know he yeah. spoke in French. Like that's why do you think everybody is acts the way they do? It's your this is part of the issue. Like and yeah. and, and like when we when we're asking for more uh, colorful characters, we're hmm. not asking for people to sift through kent Hughes's garbage in his in his outside his house and say see if his newspaper comes in french or english yeah we're asking for you guys to do stuff like jim matheson
1: yeah and, and i'm i'm definitely not intrigued as to the uh the future of kent hughes's uh agency and uh his <laughs> relationships with patrice bergeron and uh who's the other guy i think crystal tang I was? yeah uh- but in any event yeah it yeah there's um there's a lot going on, and and none of it matters. Honestly, none of it matters of it. at all. Like you
2: can't. You could can ask these guys if they can name a hundred, like what they covered a year ago to this day. And yeah. Like, do you remember what the big story was? And they won't be remember because it was the story was so minute, but they made such right. a big deal about it that it was uh, that they they won't remember. It's probably like you know Freddie Anderson's trade you know, his contract or something. Yeah. And like, they won't be able to recall it because yeah. they just make such a big deal out of these little things and they don't, and the thing, and, and they take the fun out of like, I understand that what Jim Matheson did was unprofessional, I mm. guess is the right way to put it. And like, what? Oh, mm. Okay. But if, if you kind of, if, if we all weigh in on it and, and, and the film it, it takes away from the, the hilarity of it, which <laughs> is kind of the point of this whole thing. It's like supposed to distract you from the minutiae of, of, everyday life. It's so please don't bring that minutiae into yeah. hockey. Yeah.
1: But as always, the important thing to remember is that some Islanders fan threw a snake at John Tavares. Once. <laughs> That's the most important thing to remember in all of this. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, one of the Islanders biggest, problems this season and how they can fix it for the future and then obviously we will talk uh, and reminisce about Clark Gillies so please come back uh, with us in a minute thanks And now a word from our sponsors. First, as always, VintageIceHockey.com, where you can get t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring over 100 classic hockey logos. Vintage Ice Hockey also carries our Al Arbor t-shirt, and our portion of the sales go to the Center for Dementia Research the uh, Lighthouse 15 code isn't currently working right now, but Kevin is working on it. Uh, but uh, you, you could try it, but it hasn't been working lately. But uh, eventually, that will get back up there. But uh, check out VintageIceHockey.com. There's new cool stuff every single day. Kentucky Thoroughblades now there. Cool T-shirt. And if you listen to our last episode of Weird Islanders, Kevin was our guest. We had a great time, and uh, he's a great dude. So check out VintageIceHockey.com. Betway is the official betting partner of the NHL. Play big pick for free or play for real residents in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Idaho, and Iowa only. Check the link in the podcast description to join. Must be 21 or over. Terms and conditions apply. Try wines from the Pinot Project. Delicious Pinot Noir, Pinot Grigio, and Rosé, all under $15 a bottle. Available at local wine shops and at UBS Arena. Please play and drink responsibly. Uh, Okay, so here's my overall take on the last week or so for the Islanders and really mostly the first half of the season. Um, The Islanders have a scoring problem. And I know you're sitting wherever you are right now thinking obvious statement is obvious. This team does not score goals. They're last in total goals for the NHL. They have scored 80 to date, 80 goals for all season, the coyotes and Canadians, the two kind of observed worst teams in the league teams with less wins than the Islanders one of whom got shut out by the Islanders literally two days ago, each have more goals scored than the Islanders do this year. <laughs> like, yeah, and yes, the Islanders have played less games than most teams. And the flip side of that, the good flip side of that is the Islanders uh have given up the least amount of goals in the league. The they and the Hurricanes are both tied at 91 goals against, which is great. That's how the Islanders play. But this team does not score goals. And as Mike and I were talking before we started recording, like it's not just that they don't score goals. It's that when they enter the offensive zone, you do not expect them to score goals. Like, I don't know what they're doing when they come into the zone. You know, it's obviously, again, we all know by now that Matt Barzell is really the only creative player on the team by a country mile. You know, maybe Nelson can fit in there. Maybe Dobson, as he's getting a little bit better, has a little bit of creativity to his game offensively, but really it's Barzell and nobody else. And, and as Mike said with the Leafs, like, If you key on Barzell and make him keep the puck and don't give him anywhere to pass, you're going to shut the Islanders down. Shut the Islanders down in which is like a weird concept because who are you shutting down? Like half of these guys have one or two goals on the season, and there's just it seems like they're really going through the motions. Now, guys do have certain offensive capabilities and specialties. Like I don't want Anders Lee trying to like knife through four defenders like he's Connor mcdavid that's not his game he's good in front of the net he's good behind the net he's good in the corners that kind of thing and i understand that but right now it feels like this team is going through the motions and the other teams know that they're going through the motions and are stopping it all the time they get tons of shots blocked shots don't get through everything goes back to the point and then it goes you know back right to the net and normally that kind of works but these shots they're not hard they're not getting through to the net they're not producing rebounds and not getting through to passes and there's nothing going on. And yes, they scored 13 whole goals this week and they won three out of four games and that's good. But this team just doesn't score. And when you're scratching guys like Oliver Wallstrom, who has some of the, you know, one of the highest goal totals in the game, in the league, on the team, sorry, geez, on the team. And, you know, Kiefer Bellows again, had a great stretch. Now he's not so much, but even then, like he wasn't really producing. He was just looking good calls into question Kyle Palmieri still hurt but he only had one goal before he got hurt I don't know what this team is going to do but they need to straighten this out not so much just for this season because as again we go on the likelihood of them making the playoffs goes smaller and smaller but they need to straighten this out going forward because they need somebody or some buddies really preferably that can put the puck in the net with regularity and they just don't have that right now to the point where they break into the offensive zone and i just almost want to get up and get something to drink cuz i don't think they're going to do anything and it's really demoralizing and depressing cuz i don't know what's going on out there and i don't know what their practice habits are like but boy it looks like the other team knows exactly what they're going to do and if a goal happens it's almost by accident like that's not a good way to live yeah it's uh
2: it is interesting there i don't i i feel like that their transition game has really struggled it's, it's, there there is none. They used yeah. to have one. It's they used gone. to have a great one. Like they used to, they used to, uh, sure. know, the, the first two lines, especially, and make me a part of it might be a really, a really missing. And, um, but at the same time, like th- there's still a lot of forward depth here and guys who can create on their own, uh, whether through one way or another, whether it's, you know, Barzell and, you know, Bovillier, Nelson, Josh Bailey, mm. Kyle Palmieri, like he's a great shot. Like he, sh- these guys are, are threatening, On their own but there yeah there's just there's something missing it if it feels it that when the islanders would go through and they did this season too like when they go through their annual um you know there's it's pretty obvious this team isn't going to score a goal for seven games (laughs) slumps like it it feels like a minor miracle that they do and um it's something that you hope is addressed in the season and and there definitely are internal solutions like the wallstrom thing i do want to say though he wasn't good the past few games like um, and, and I know a lot of people were talking about he was scratched because he turned the puck over um, against the Coyotes and it led to a scoring chance that he ended up blocking two shots on, which, yeah, good for him. But um, he also wasn't good against the Flyers, uh, I did mm-hmm. think, in those two games. Uh, and it was pretty obvious Trotz was getting fed up with his game
0: mm-hmm. by the yeah.
2: shootout thing. And between him and Bellows, it, it's like – we need you guys to to work to to be the player that the coach wants right? because mm. he's the guy who's making the lineup decisions and it, walsham showed that in the beginning of the season when he was he was scoring with a regularity that when he is that player he still scores like he's a very effective player but when he doesn't and, and he's getting benched and scratched and can't get you know into a rhythm then it's a problem and uh it's the same thing with bellows too it's just like mm. they're confident when their confidence goes or they're they're trying to do too much it's a it's a it's a real mess and it really throws off the rest of the offense because they are such a pivotal part of it when they're in the lineup because like we're saying there's not they're not nobody's really being cons- been consistent mm. uh outside of maybe nelson and barzell offensively now dobson i guess too but so it's, it's there's like a lot to it and, and i it sucks that when wallstrom and bellows are scratched right now but it's who this this coaching staff is it's who mm. it's who they are they're going to keep doing it like next year if a2 ratu makes the team get ready cuz he's going to get scratched like when he when he doesn't have a good game or even after games that he does cuz they the coaching staff is going to say look like you messed messed this up you are missing this <laughs> detail you didn't adhere, adhere to this protocol and now you got to sit for it and i and I, it's it's frustrating cuz i think everyone knows that Trot's and he's pretty open about not treating each player equally um in terms of scratches but he he scratched anthony bovillia earlier this season like he's it's not this is something he does It's just the mm-hmm. coach it's he's the best coach in the league so mm-hmm. it, this is it like it, it's it's very frustrating when f- people react to it um the team the team is crying out for consistent offensive production for sure like they need to be a team that can score they they can't they played five games and uh since last saturday and in two of those five games, they scored uh, zero or one goal, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that can't happen when you're, you know, you're in the playoff hunt. But part, of, I mean, instead of blaming the coaching staff for scratching guys who can score, I think you can also blame the guys who can score for not doing what they're supposed to do to stay in the lineup so that they can score. <laughs> it's like so. It is. Yeah. It, it, it is like this kind of chicken or egg situation, I guess, but. Uh, yeah it's, uh it's it's been frustrating and my ho- my only hope is that the uh, you, this this is a blip for for guys like Paul and Peresi because I I actually think it's m- much more likely than not that Perusi comes back next year. Uh with the way yeah, he's oh yeah. kind of playing with the way he's ingratiated himself to the team and the coaching staff and and he does he does a great job in every part of the game. He just has been snake bit in front of then I think if before after the Coyotes game, I looked it up with a couple friends. He had, I think he had like 57 shots in one goal and Palmieri <laughs> had 52 shots in one goal. So it's like, yeah, like Jack Parise shoots between 10 and 12% a season. He's not going to shoot 1.6% two seasons in a row, most likely. And um, so, but like, he's, like you're saying, it is it is this is a very different season from last year. And 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 you hope a lot of it is just the fact that they've been thrown biblical shit, you know, the, the, <laughs> this, the seven plagues of the Islanders this season. Uh, And next year you hope that they're a little luckier in that regard or a lot luckier in that regard. And that makes it easier to get into an offensive rhythm, but uh, yeah, the uh, it it is, it is a team that has from, from the second trots took over. If, if one part of the chain, uh, the link breaks or whatever uh, one link breaks of the chain, it's, it it has a huge ripple effect because then, you know, if Oliver Wallstrom isn't playing well, that means that Matt Barzell puts more pressure on himself and that, that turns into problems. And then if he's if that means Matt Barzell might not be playing well, that means that, you know, Brock Nelson then needs to yeah. pick up the slack. And it's it's if everyone's not pulling in the same direction at the the time they're supposed to pull, it's it's this team breaks. And maybe that's a flaw that needs to be worked on. But when you look at the last three seasons, it's kind of hard to argue against the process.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've, they've been that way since Trots took over. And normally they've got to that point when they hit the playoffs, which, <laughs> again, has been very successful. But. You know, they have not found the rhythm. You know, maybe that's got something to do with the schedule and, and the, the COVID issues and all that stuff. And I understand that. But, yeah, I mean, you're talking about dudes. You're talking about having a team of guys, half of whom are seriously snake bit, Like Palmieri. I mean, all right, nobody expected Parisi to score 25 goals, but, like, nobody expected him to have two at in the middle of January, you know, the end of January. Like, Bailey's got two goals. Um, yeah, Nelson and Barzell are really the only two guys that have done – the job, and then Wallstrom, obviously too, and then you know uh bovillier doesn't have, oh, I guess Lee too, but all right. So that's those are the half of the guys that aren't snake bitten. Then the rest of the guys are very. The fourth line is very snake bitten. Sezic just got his first goal the other day. Again, not a guy you expect to score a lot, but you expect him to have more than one goal going in. P- Pajio, I think, has two right or one at this point. So he's he scored a few now. I think he's got he's like up to like four or five, which oh, is okay. still.
2: Like yeah, when when you consider the in the context of the rest of the roster, it's not enough. It's just right. yeah. because there are guys on the team with one and two.
1: Yeah. So it's just there's not, you know, forget about getting everybody pulling in the same direction. Getting anybody to pull in any direction is is hard right now. And then you get to Tuesday's game, which again they won, uh, and Barry Trotts making the decision to put in Oliver Wallstrom ninth in the shootout, which, you know, on one hand is like what? Uh and you know at the time everybody was really concerned about it. This was stupid. Why is he doing this? This is dumb. Well, Barry Trotz's ex- explanation was that in the three previous shootouts that Wallstrom had been in, it was not good. And so he waited. And and you know what? I know it's frustrating, but that makes sense to me. Like, you know, it wasn't he wasn't mad at the guy. He just hadn't done it. And, you know, okay, fine. Why would we have you know and the other thing too, people are like, oh, why are you doing Parisi? He hasn't scored any goals. Zach Parisi has done participated in more shootouts than almost anybody on the Islanders roster combined, you know? So like, why wouldn't you have Parisi on uh, that? And it also I worked. Yeah. Like, I, that's why I didn't understand why everyone was so upset. Like it worked. That's such, like, it, 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 I get, like, I get the
2: confusion. I was confused. I was like, oh, well, Sean will be next. Or maybe he's hurt. Is he hurt? What's what's going on? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I, I, I mean, I guess it makes a little bit of sense where they were like, you know what? Like, We'll, we'll send him a little, th- that's a minor message compared to healthy scratching. I mean, it didn't get and he yeah. obviously didn't get it. Cause the next game he wasn't, I didn't think he was good against the coyotes again. No. And he's, it's not, and by the way, talking about consistent offensive production and, and, and Wallstrom, I think is a great player. I honestly think he's got 30 goal potential. Maybe even on another team right now, he would be like in hmm. the twenties, <laughs> but that's not how this team works. Um, But he's, he's, he's got no goals in what? one two three four. 7 8 9, 10 11 games he hasn't scored since December 7th versus Ottawa. Wow. He's got three goals since November 6th. And that's mm. like what how many games? 25. Yeah. So he had five four in the first he had four in the first eight I think and then so since then he's got four more. So whatever it is 25 26 games he's got four or five goals. Um so he's there's something you know to what's going on and and if he's not scoring at a clip where he makes it impossible to sit. If he's making those mistakes, then it's a problem. And and people then point, you know, this time on ice isn't great. Like how can he score if he's only playing eight minutes against the coyotes or whatever, 10 minutes against whoever. I mean, he's got it. Like that's how you. That's yeah. how this league works. You, you, when you, you earn each extra minute of ice time, especially when you're young and and you play more of a high risk game like he does. I think he's good on the puck, uh, mm. uh, like he's strong on the puck and whatever. But it's 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 just decision making. When he yeah. he literally has everything going for him, except for uh you know just the the adhering to what he's supposed to do to help the team win rather than to help himself get uh you know on the score sheet. And it's. Until he gets there, it's it's this is gonna be a thing and it's gonna be annoying. But um yeah. the hope is he, he gets there and quickly.
1: Yeah. And that was Trotz's reasoning too. He needs consistency and I get that. And I did not know that honestly that the drought was that bad. And it's so similar to what Beauvillier was going through earlier this year when he was scratched, and you know, Bellows too. I mean, these are young guys, even Bovillier. I mean, Beauvillier's is not even twenty four years old. <laughs> it's you know, these guys have right. have they need to find consistency and This team just doesn't have it. And you could say that, oh, yeah, well, Trotz is like, you know, he's singling out these young guys. And, yeah, he is because somebody's got to get, you know, guys like uh, Barzell and Nelson and Lee are kind of doing what they normally do and they need help. And Barzell in particular, like the dude needs help. And I, I get it. Like I want to see Wallstrom on the line with Barzell too. They need to do something. They can't like, you know, have an okay shift, have an invisible shift, get turnover, Giveaway, invisible shift, okay shift, okay power play. Like they need to bring it every single time they're on the ice, every single time, or else this team's not going anywhere. Like,
2: you know, that's what Bellows was doing too, by the way, when he was playing well and he was like, and Trotz was praising him. What was he, what was the difference? Like, it was that he was skating and moving his legs and hitting people. And same thing with Wallstrom early in the year. Like the guy was moving his legs. He was a beast in the corners. Mm. He was winning pucks. He was doing the right things. And then he stopped and that's that's what happens with young players it's just it's like so it's not this isn't like a vendetta thing it's it's just that these guys aren't like you said like you you want to play we all want to see barzell and walsham together i think they're a match made in heaven but matt barzell still and because we want him to be able to is like a creative force where Mm -hmm. he will turn the puck over he will put he will skate himself stick handle himself into precarious situations and like if you're going to let him do that barry trotz is going to much rather have Austin Zarnik or Leo Kamarov who are hyper aware of those things who, who mm. like, who will then see that and, and aren't, aren't going to be gawking at it or, or setting themselves up for a one timer in the slot from it. Yeah. But instead <laughs> being like, okay, like right. Mitch Marner's about to jump, jump John Tavares. I need to be ready to, mm. to go the Got other way and back. Right. check Right. So and like, and, sure, yeah. and can you trust Oliver Walsh to do that? You can, I guess you could trust Travis Zajac to do it, and Leo Komarov. But you, I don't know if you can trust Oliver <laughs> Wallstrom too. And that's how they look at it: right, wrong, or indifferent. Right. But that's just it. Yeah. And that's how his coaching staff has done. And and, and mm. if, if you want, if you want the the coaching staff to change after three incredibly successful seasons with a team that was not supposed to do anything because mm. he's they're benching Oliver Wallstrom and Keeper Bellows instead of Austin Zarnick, I don't know what to tell you. Like yeah. it's frustrating for everybody, but it's just you just got to learn to live with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, my thing is, and you know, and I want to move on from the subject in a second, but like, my thing is, I, these guys know, like Trotz knows and Lamorello knows, like Lou Lamorello in in a previous life. I don't need to remind everybody is the guy who went out and traded for guys like Alex McGilney, Doug Gilmore, Joe Newandike, Jamie Langenbrunner, Jason Arnott, like dudes that could score goals. And you know, Arnott was kind of run out of Edmonton because he wasn't scoring enough. He came to New Jersey and. And lo and behold, found his game. I, they know, you know. Trots is a guy. It's funny that uh, Trots is like the guy who gets labeled the oh, he's defensive, boring coach. He coached four years, one of the most exciting teams in the league, <laughs> you know, the Capitals, and uh, you know, the greatest goal scorer of all time. And he didn't tell Alex Ovechkin to stop scoring goals in that time. If anything, Ovechkin and Backstrom were the terror terrorized the league for those four years, you know. So um, they know, they get it, and they're trying. As much as we we as much as they can, and they know as much as as frustrated as we are that they need to get guys who score goals. So I am concerned as to where this is, how this is going to get fixed. But I have no doubt that they're trying to fix it. And it's funny because I was looking up, well, who could they get maybe traded? I looked at like Tyler Toffoli. Like to me, that's that's a kind of guy who would be good in this. He's he's scored. He's good defensively. He's not playing on an absolutely team going nowhere right now in the Habs. He's got two more years on his deal. He's making like four and a half million. That's probably too much for the Islanders to take right now. Uh, And I don't know how, how, what it would take. And then I look and he's also got seven goals. So like, he's got as many goals as the Islanders, you know, third or fourth score. And I'm like, well, I guess that's not going to work, but I think they are looking for a solution somehow, some way to goose this offense because they cannot go much longer being this offensively inept and, and still, you know, have a realistic, quote-unquote, realistic, if not, you know, long, uh, 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 probably in, in op, in, uh, improbable shot at the playoffs uh, by scoring this few goals because it's just not going to work. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, okay. Um, it is now Clark Gilly's time, and it's sad that we are having these lovely reminiscences and stuff uh, after the man has uh, unfortunately – passed away uh it seemed to have been a very sudden thing um and as i said before people are in shock and you know we are fans we know him as a player uh as sort of a personality again you could not have gone to an islanders game at any point and not seen clark gillies uh any charity event any golf event he had his charitable foundation the clark gillies foundation and you could you know see him at any number of things around long island um but you know what's really getting me is is like you mentioned before the the memories coming from people outside of the islanders circle um larry brooks wrote a really nice thing today in the post you should check that out if you haven't already um people players and managers whole teams i mean you know what it must take for mario lemieux to say something nice about an islander probably a lot and right after the announcement came from the islanders there was a an an, uh, a you know, a release from the penguins and then one for the Mario Lemieux foundation as well. He was friends with Clark Gillies and they've lost a good friend and, and it's really a very sad thing. Um, and the thing about it is, yeah, you know, I wrote the thing for lighthouse hockey and posted it and managed to keep myself together enough to write it. Uh, and then I went back and watched the sort of post game videos. Again, this is after a four nothing win and uh, the Islanders third straight. And what really got me was Anders Lee and Matt Martin. And they were very, very choked up. These are two guys in their 30s. And they saw a man in Clark Gillies in his 60s uh, as their friend and their colleague. And all three of these guys had a combined love of the New York Islanders. And nobody, very I shouldn't say nobody, but very, very, very few people have loved this franchise and this island more than Clark Gillies had. He settled his family here. He lived here all the time. He lived for this team. He wanted to see this team be successful. And you could see it on the faces of two current Islanders that they were really, really, really affected by this. And somebody asked, you know, for stories. And you could tell in both their faces that, oh, they've got Clark Gilly stories, but they just can't tell them on a microphone uh, to a mass audience. And uh, Lee told a story about how he was supposed to play golf with them one time. And they got rained out, and he ended up kind of. Sitting in the clubhouse, shooting the shit with those guys, and just a smile on his face was huge, because I can't even imagine the stories. And if you've ever been lucky enough to be in Clark Gillies' uh, area where he's telling stories, and I mentioned before, I was uh, at, in Brooklyn uh, for a live uh, uh, ILC podcast one time, and Gillies was there, and you know, I, I did a little speaking thing too. Justin Bourne was there. We had a bunch of other guests, but the guest of honor was Clark Gillies, and. We could have sat there all night and listened to the stories, And, and some of them are on YouTube, and some of them are just in our memories right now, but these guys love to hang out with this guy, and he was old enough to be their father. He played for their same team in a different, completely different era on a completely different team, and they love this guy, and that is just a very, very small sample of how much this man's life affected people people around him, fans, media, the media loved this guy. He was always there to tell stories and jokes and be funny and jovial. I guarantee nobody called him pissy, <laughs> but if they did, he would have been like, yeah, I am probably, <laughs> you know, he would have made a joke about it for sure. Um, and it's just, it's a huge loss. It's a huge loss. And, and I, I don't know how the Islanders get over it to be, to be quite honest. And with half a season to go, I, I think this is going to affect them for a very long time and I wouldn't blame them one bit because I think it'll affect a lot of us for a long time. And uh, it's just a tremendous loss. It really is.
2: Yeah. It's, it's funny because Islander fans are um, kind of separated into two genres generations, it's, which is like, you were either kind of alive for the dynasty and um, watched it and were mesmerized by it. And uh, now you're trying to, you know, re- get them back to even you know, one, one hundredth of that level or you missed it and you're just, you're like, I can't, can't even fathom it. You know, like you see the thing and uh, you see the videos and you're like, I can't like even imagine what it must've been like when, when Nystrom scored or, um, you know, when Ken Morrow scored that goal against the Rangers or and stuff like that. And um, I obviously belong to that ladder camp, which is missed the dynasty by quite a bit. Uh, I was born in 1990. So uh, the only thing i know about it is you know you just know the mystique and the stories and the history and um there shouldn't be much of a a tangible connection to it because it was um you know way before my time and but because (laughs) like guys like clark gillies and 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 bob nystrom were just always around you did feel like um not that you were uh, a part of it or witnessed it or whatever but like that you understood it a little bit more because they were just, oh, like you said, always around. And, um, you, one thing that I, I she's tech talking with, uh, Elliot Friedman about was like, I really hope that everybody, when, when people do talk about them, whether it's on hockey night in Canada or on 32 thoughts or whatever that they do bring up is that, um, when the Islanders were terrible, uh, <laughs> in the, the early two thousands or mid two thousands, late nineties, uh, late 2000s. They were, they were were terrible for a lot of Mm. of, of Mm. errors when they were terrible and things were looking bleak that Clark Gillies was like, and there's some other players, but Gillies, especially he was always there like, Mm. and he was shaking hands and he was telling people just like, you know, stick with it. And just remember what the team is all about, because it it is a, uh, one thing that makes the Islanders unique. And something I always say is that this is a team in a community or team of a community, not like just a product of a city, right? It's not like, Hey, there's a lot of people in Houston. We should put a team there. This is a, a, a there's a community here mm-hmm. and that's how the team is supported. And that's how the team, what the team means. It's a, it's a team you're ruining for the community. The, the success of the franchise is deeply intertwined with the success of, you know, Long Island, uh, I would say. And, and, and that's what really makes it a special thing. And, and it's because of those guys that it's like that because Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom and, butch goring and, and bob Bourne and whoever they were a- around like you were rooting for your neighbors basically it's a, I, and one of the things i always joke about with my friends when i think about the dynasty is like the way people talk about it it's like in like the the 80s it's almost as if people talk about yeah i would get up for work in the morning and go out get the newspaper i'd wave to my neighbor across the street who was clark gillies he'd wave back <laughs> and then we'd both go to work he'd go to nassau coliseum right. and i'd go to you know to, to work at ibm or something and uh it's that is not how other teams in basically Mm. any sport work and in this country, at least like you don't, you don't hear stories about guy people seeing Derek Jeter, you know, or, or seeing like, Oh yeah, no, that's my neighbor, Mark Messier. or That's (laughs) my, my neighbor, Drew Doughty. Like this is not, that's not how these things work. You don't hear stories about Sidney Crosby and stuff. You hear like, yeah, they do great work in the community. They go to these functions that are set up Mm. for them in, in these spots. They're not like, Oh, here's, there's Clark Gillies. Um, it's not that you don't hear like there's Sidney Crosby on the line at the belly next to me. Whereas like you, you heard a lot of that with, <laughs> with, with these guys and they would be in the bars and whatever. And, um, That ethos I think was lost um, with the Islanders for a while because there wasn't that homegrown connection right there they, in, in the two thousands as great as it was when they started to to have a resurgence with Yashin and Pekka or whatever. Um, Those guys were brought in from elsewhere where uh they didn't understand probably they didn't come in with the connection that those guys did they they might have grown it i mean hell alexa yashin definitely understood it at mm-hmm. the end of it he was everywhere he was uh sticking around long island for a long time afterwards miro shatan similarly <laughs> Martinez still i'm pretty sure lives on long island like there there are people on that team that still do and and understood it after the fact or or later on in their careers on the island but these guys got it right away and i think that started to show its head a little bit with the um you know Tavares Oposo Hammonet mm-hmm. core. they they're they like oh these guys kind of get it and then what happened was they all left and mm. uh so it never really culminated whereas this this group I think starts it has it a little bit too like you can tell like these guys are love being here they love playing for uh the island the same way that the, the dynasty guys do and I think you can tell that the dynasty guys understand that too, that this is a different kind of era um, because of the way that they talk about and around this team. Whereas like, you know, for like 2013, when they lost in the first round or 2015, like those guys would show up to those games, but it wasn't like they were, you could kind of tell like they were just there for this, to see just in case if the Islanders mm. won. Whereas with these, with this team, like Gillies and them, they were there to be a part of it. They were there to be a part of the party. Uh, and, and they were, and it was great. Um, so it's it is funny that, you know, everyone, everyone, it's almost like you know, my friends and I joke that Alan Houston and uh, everyone would see in my age group would see Alan Houston like five times a year at bar mitzvahs. He was like the guy that people <laughs> would pay to make appearances, whereas Clark Gillies was just at Nassau Coliseum. So it was like you would just see Clark Gillies. I'd see Clark Gillies like five times a year yeah. in an Islander game with 8000 people when, when they would just get absolutely <laughs> pumped by the Bruins or something on a cold night in February. But it was all right, because like sometimes you'd be like, yeah, you know, I, I spoke with Clark Gillies for a couple minutes.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I, everything you said is 100 percent true, and I think that Gillies may have embodied that thing that we talk about a lot, which is like once you get here, you stay. And yep. I think in a lot of cases, you know, he he kind of set the the tone for that, much the way in, in the way he set the tone for the Islanders on the ice. You know, I wrote a thing uh, the day after because I couldn't believe all of the things in, in thinking about his career. You know, yeah, we go Hall of Fame, four cups, the whole thing. Like, he was an, he was a legend right from the get-go. Like, I mean, that fight against Dave Schultz that people talk about a lot that kind of set the tone for the Islanders in the playoffs and, you know, really kind of made them a team to uh, not be messed with uh, was in his rookie year. Like, this dude was a rookie, and he took on the biggest boogeyman in the league, and he beat the hell out of him. <laughs> and from that point on, the Islanders didn't really get that much, you know, uh, grief uh, on the ice that much. And, you know, there were other fights and other brawls, but everybody knew – that they had Gillies and they had the guy who who took down Dave Schultz. But even in the beginning, like he was still jovial with the media. He was, he scored 25 goals that for 28 goals, I believe in that first year. Like that's a good rookie season. And it just got better and better as, as the years went on. So, I mean, he was really always an Islanders legend. He was never not, you know, there was never a period in which he wasn't. And, and the thing I was thinking about today, and I completely forgot about this and I probably should have mentioned it, but it's I like think a sore subject for the guys involved was that, now this guy had such an impact on this franchise that we have, in a lot of ways, been looking for that that exact player for a long time. And Anders Lee is the closest that comes. Somebody mentioned this to I think Trotz today, and and he he agreed that you know Trotz uh, Lee has that same kind of ability. Um, maybe not quite as as good as Gillies was, but he's very good. He's got the hands. He can fight. He's big. He's a leader. Um, but you know it's it, it's been a long time coming. And I remember very very clearly when they drafted Todd Bertuzzi and anybody who was around that time knows where I'm going with this. The whole thing was he was going to be quote, the next Clark Gillies and it didn't work out (laughs) to put it mildly, but they had Gillies meet with him and they had him talk and, and Bertuzzi, you know, bristled at that and he did not want to be the next Clark Gillies. He wanted to be the first Todd Bertuzzi. And honestly, I can't blame him for that, but I also can't blame Islanders fans for wanting another Clark Gillies because the first one, was so huge and so important to the franchise and such a beloved figure by so many people why wouldn't you want another one and uh you know lee is the closest we get really uh to that kind of player and i think he's a beloved figure now certainly <laughs> everybody you know uh, likes anders uh, we're all glad he's here and and uh, we're happy he's the captain but you know he i don't think his that love with all due respect to anders i don't know if he's gotten if he reaches clark Gilly status but to be honest I, there's only very, very, very few guys that, that have, and we all know the names, Trottier, Bossy, Nystrom, Potvan, Tanelli, Smith, you know, they, they, they get there. And I don't know if anybody else on this roster has gotten there. Maybe Barzell will at some point, but uh, you know, that's a long, long, long shadow to cast when you retired in 1987. <laughs> that's a long, you know, and people are still looking for a player like you and it's been 30 years <laughs> since you retired. That's, you mean a lot to that franchise and, and Clark Ely's obviously meant a lot to everybody.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's a, uh, a, a, just an, a, a legend that it's the type of guy that you hear stories about too. And it's mm. like, um, yeah, like, oh God, man, that would never happen today because people <laughs> are just, you know, the society's so different and people mm. act so different and people are kind of afraid to let those, uh, show their personality more and for good reason. But, um, um, it's it when, when I hear you you heard American uh, uh, Friedman and a lot of other people talk about how great well, Brett Marchand was when he like took mm. that person's phone and the NHL needs more of this. They need more Brett Marchand, like sounding off on Twitter, like sure. Mm. Like that stuff's fun. And Marchand's you've incredibly entertaining, but <laughs> it, it, I think they just, you need more of what Clark Gillies was, right? Like you need more mm. of that kind of genuine, personality of like where it's just it's so natural and um just commanding when you're around him and and watching him that that's what the the league needs like more than anything it's like these these guys you know quote tweeting dunking on people is isn't really what i would say um people loved about the players in the past like they loved them because you know, these guys were hilarious to be around and funny characters and uh, they weren't so, uh, um, you know, stripped down of their personality, I guess is, is a good way to put it. And, and, and whereas like they show even the little, like a little bit of a sense of humor, it's like a huge deal. And everyone's like, Oh my God, did you see, mm. did you see what, you know, Sebastian Ajo said like on Twitter for the Canes? That's hilarious. Like best social media guy ever. Like,
1: okay. Like that's not, it's, it's, mm. it's not. Did you see Patrick line a sunglasses? Yeah. Like OMG. Yeah. yeah okay. Sure. The, that's not
2: that's that's not what we're talking about what we're yeah. talking about is 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 these guys doing the stuff that you know the clark gillies of the world would do or you know hmm. other you know there was plenty of other guys too but um that's that's what made hockey so great and and kind of uh you know this this like kind of mythical sport like those yeah. these monsters from western canada descending on <laughs> these places in the united states and then just bringing that those crazy cowboy personalities and yeah. Yeah. Not, not Nathan McKinnon talking about like cereals or whatever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think you hit it with the word genuine. I think that's the best way to put it. Like he was just a genuine fun dude to hang out with who was excellent at hockey and played on a very, very good team. And uh, yeah, you don't get that that much anymore. You know, you just don't guys aren't, they're more guarded now. And I, and I get it, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of, of, uh, you know, pride and, and, but also like sort of personal space at stake and, and it's different now, unfortunately than the seventies. But uh, you know, if we can find some more genuine personalities like Clark Gillies, I think the, the league would be better off and, and we'd all be better off because again, he, he affected all of us and, and made us all fans. You know, I mean, I don't, even, even people that didn't watch Clark Gillies play fans and have been affected by this. So again, condolences to Clark's family and uh, the extended Islanders family, and uh, he will be missed. And I think we'll be having more reminisces about him uh, as the the season goes on and uh, as time goes on. Uh, But that'll do it for us today. Uh, It's a packed week for the Islanders. They have four games, including a back-to-back on the weekend uh, versus Seattle and then Minnesota. Uh, We will be back next week. Uh, Probably not, gonna record a, a weird islanders next week because again it's so packed but we will be back the week after uh if you haven't listened to the last episode that we did about uh, jay pandolfo with our friend kevin you definitely should because it was a good time and uh, we'll get to somebody that wasn't on the 11 12 team at some point i promise <laughs> uh but uh, but as long as we keep having fun and and uh, people keep listening we'll have a great time so check that out we will be back uh, again after this uh, this little stretch, and then uh, the All Star break is coming up, so we got a, a few, a <laughs> uh, few more days there too. So, uh, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Uh, the Big Leaf ask two E's. I, I just real
2: quick about the All Star game. I was joking around about like what skill competition thing Adam mm. Pellicle play in.
0: Mm. Oh, and,
2: and it's like. I know, you know, we we lampoon Jeff Merrick a lot on the show, and mm. and like his like obsession with uh different bringing different skill competition games in that like he makes up in his head, and mm. they're all stupid. Um, <laughs> but for Adam Pellick, I think, you know, if I'm trying to think of what his would be, and and to me it would be, you start him at the red line, you dump a puck in, and you start like a forward at in between the blue line and the red line, and you see who comes out with it, because <laughs> that that's what I would do. Like yeah. you know, this guy he wins these puck battles where he's never the favorite to mm. do so so yeah congrats to him that's yeah he was he's a really good hockey player
1: he's been really good this season and i feel like ever since the all-star announcement he's been even better which yeah. is not something you see all that often a lot of times guys get a little bit freaked out maybe they you know take the foot off the gas but he's been really really good and i you know i was thinking about that today it's funny you brought it up because i was like what is he gonna do in the all-star game and uh and uh we will find out but uh it would be pretty funny if somebody had like an ISO cam on him and it was like, does he know this is an all star game? Like he's taking the puck away from, uh, you know, what is, what is he, what, why is he like going after McKinnon in the corners? What is he doing? At but that's Adam Pellick. Like that's the Cobra. That's so, That'll be exciting to watch him uh, to do that. And uh, I hope we have a good time. But uh, but I, I think we'll we'll talk before the actual game. So uh, we'll be able to reminisce about Adam Pellick, All-Star, <laughs> shortly. Uh, but thanks for listening. We went a little long today, but obviously we had we had good reason. We had a lot to talk about. And uh, we had to tell some Clark Gilly stories. Uh, read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. Check out Betway. Check out Pino Project. Check out vintageicehockey.com. We'll be back uh, sometime next week. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you then. All right. Bye-bye.